Welcome to Ivy League Murders. My name is Sarah Alcorn. I'm a Harvard graduate and a private investigator. And my name is Laura Rodriguez McDonald. I'm a University of Miami graduate, longtime crime aficionado, and part of a fourth generation NYPD family. Bob, it's fantastic to have you on the show, and I'm sorry if you can reintroduce yourself, that would be sure. great. Sure. My name is Bob Ward, and I'm a reporter for Boston 25 News, and I've been covering the Brian Walsh case just about from the very beginning. Bob, you're the local point person on this. You've actually been getting national coverage on this. You write Court TV, Ashley Banfield, and Anderson Cooper. Yeah, I've been able to break a couple of big stories on this investigation, and it's nice to get some attention for that. And uh, be approached from some of these national outlets uh, for my coverage and you know this is an important case and it's uh, I think it's the attention is just going to increase as this case moves forward. Fantastic. I'll get to my first question which is in the very beginning when when Anna Walsh first disappeared the police speculated a very different theory about that or can you talk to that at all? Sure my first involvement with the case was on on that Friday when Chief Quigley um, held his news conference. And I reached out to a source who was on his way to Cohasset to start looking for Anna. And I, I was on my way to Cohasset. I was not at that initial press conference. So it would have been probably around 11 o'clock in the morning. And I just wanted to find out which end was up, what was going on. And what I was told was that at that point, that they didn't know, the state police did not know what was happening. They said there was no evidence of a crime and they didn't know if she was the victim of foul play, if she took off or if she took her own life. And out of those three scenarios at the very beginning, they thought the most likely outcome was going to be that they might find her in the woods, a victim of suicide. Something that they said that they have come across time and time again. It's something that doesn't get reported on people from wealthy backgrounds taking their lives because things get to be too much. And what I was told was that uh, we will know by the end of the day which avenue this is going to take. They said, we know all about the husband. We already know uh, what his background is. We know about the federal charges and we know some things are looking kind of weird, but we don't have any evidence of foul play. So we just don't know but don't be surprised if this turns out to be a suicide. So that's what I was told at the outset of this. But, you know, that was before the command post was set up and they they set up the search and the dogs went into the woods and before the fire on Jerusalem Road. So this would have been January 5th, is that correct? Or Yeah, I'd have to look at the calendar, but that sounds about right. Yeah, that Friday. And can you speak to that fire? Is that, that was such a bizarre uh, Oh my God. Current. I mean, it, it was so bizarre. I mean, the weather conditions that day, I remember it being really cold. It was raw it was rainy and kind of snowy. And uh, we had been, first of all, I couldn't find the command post. I mean, they were at the police station and then they went down to the stop behind the stoppage shop and we were circling the block looking for them. We, we came upon a state trooper behind the house who was going door to door looking at ring doorbells. He came over and chatted with us and he asked me, can you please leave? I just, just want to talk to some of these neighbors to see if they have anything. That's how preliminary, that's how early this was. It just, and, and how they were still looking for her in that neighborhood. And so 
we get over, you know, we, we finally get over there in the, the stop and shop and area and, you know, they, they start that line search and, you know, we're just trying to get started. And all of a sudden, you know, we start hearing about this fire out on Jerusalem Road. At that time, I just remember just sort of getting settled and trying to understand who is Anna Walsh, who's Brian Walsh, what are their prior addresses? And we start hearing about a fire out on Jerusalem Road. So I was lucky enough that day to have a second photographer working with me. I had a photographer with me, the way it works. You know, I'm in a car with my photographer that I'm assigned to. And then I'm lucky to have one more on scene with me. And I said to, to the second photographer, would you mind just checking that thing out? It's probably nothing. But, you know, we're hearing from the other TV crews that it was the house that they used to own, that they sold. But I wasn't sure about that. And I said, would you mind just checking that out? Because I had to stay where I was. I had a Zoom interview that I was set up with with somebody else. And I had to get it done. It was starting to get late in the afternoon. And it wasn't 10 minutes later that he started, the second photographer started sending me pictures from the scene. Yeah. And he said, this is the house. you got to get over here. And I called my station and I said, you're not going to believe this. It's the house they just sold like back in March. And we Zoomed over there. And, you know, it was just. The, the the street Jerusalem Road was just filled with white smoke. You could see the flames. I've been to you know a couple hundred fires in my day in my career, and it's very rare. You even by the time you get there, there's still flames showing. The fire you know fire departments are pretty good about knocking those things down before we get there. And this thing was fully involved in an expensive neighborhood. You know, in a place like Cohasset, fires are not common. So. Here it is. The fire breaks out on Jerusalem Road in the house that they once lived in, that they sold on the day they're looking for Anna Walsh. How does that line up like that? And I thought, what are we going to find? That she's in that house and she lit the fire and killed herself? You know, that's what I thought was going to happen because the suicide scenario was still in my head. Yeah, that sounds a little supernatural. It really it did. You know, we got out there and the chief of police was out there. Chief Quigley was out there. And I just said, Chief, isn't this a coincidence? And he said, you know, I really don't know what this is. We don't know what this is. He said, but there's a different family that lives here. Um, and he said, it's, it's up in the attic. I think he said it was up in the attic. And he said, we just don't know. So we had to, we, I made the decision and talking with my producer, I said, we kept the photographer there, but I went back to the search area. Because the crews, the, the search crews and the dogs were still in the woods. And I didn't want to be on Jerusalem Road if they found Anna in the woods. So we went back over to the search area and that's where we stayed. You know, my shift ended after the six o'clock news. We had another crew relieve me and the search crews were still in the woods. And it, by that time it was snowing out and I've never seen crews stay in there that long. You know, this was, they went in about one o'clock in the afternoon. It's now six o'clock. There's been a fire on the other end of town. And those crews are still in there looking for her. And I did get a hold of my source. And um, he did say to me at that time, if, you know, it was like five, six hours. He said, the fire on Jerusalem Road has nothing to do with this. They already knew. They already knew. And uh, he said, but we're going to stay in here. We're still looking. And as far as they know, to this day, there was no foul play involved in that fire. It was purely... Yeah coincidental accident that's that's what they said that day and they've never changed from that the fire marshal you know said what he said about i can't remember what it was now it was uh was it some um, heating system or something that, that mm -hmm. there was a problem with something like that a duct system uh with that particular house and uh, they said there was nothing unusual about it uh, it was not set 
it was an accident. So, you know, I, strange things happen, a million to one thing. And that fire was not mentioned at the, at the murder arraignment. So as it stands right now, the fire had nothing to do with the murder of Anna Walsh and Brian's alleged involvement in it. Just another bizarre coincidence. Yeah. My God, and yeah. Kind of on that note, what is in store now legally? What's going on with mm-hmm. his case, his lawyer? He's due back in court on Thursday for a status hearing. And the status is going to be on both the homicide and on the charge of misleading investigators. So they're going to be doing taking care of both. Brian Walsh will be in court, um, Quincy District Court. This is headed to a grand jury. So I don't expect we're going to have any new revelations on Thursday. This is going to be a basic hearing. Where do we stand? Where are things going? And thank you very much. Set another date. We'll see you then. And by that time, likely there will be an indictment and then we'll move over to Superior Court, which I think Dedham covers that. Um, And I think we're also going to get a new prosecutor too. So that'll be assigned. And it's going to be a lot of housekeeping in other words. Uh, But it'll still be interesting to see Brian Walsh and see what his demeanor is like. I mean, there was a noticeable demeanor from his first court appearance when he was brought in on the misleading charge to when he was charged with homicide in district court. So um, it'll be an interesting day for sure. And can you talk, just a lot of people aren't familiar with his attorney because he's indigent, correct? I guess he is. I know for, (laughs) you know, for a guy who's been living the high life for, for his entire life, Tracy Miner is his attorney. She's a fairly well-known attorney. She represented John Connolly, I understand, uh, the FBI, disgraced FBI agent from the Whitey Bulger case. She took his case. And I was told, I don't know this 100%, but I was told that she took his case on. She was in the circuit to take on cases uh, pro bono, and she took his case for the Andy Warhol painting case in federal court. And that's how she was representing him now. That's how she's come to represent him for this this homicide case. So, and I have um, a and, question. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Bob. No, no, no. So that's you know just through through happenstance, uh, she remains his lawyer, um, and she continues to represent him. This is my question: Why is he indigent? Where is the money? Where is Anna's money? Good question. You know, we know that he was well. Someone was doing internet searches allegedly asking about inheritances after after a death like this. So, good question. Good question. There's a lot we don't know about this case still. Seems like we know quite a bit, but uh, there's still a lot to learn. And there's the issue of the money that was, you know, why why did we have this case of the Andy Warhols? Why did we have this case of the swindled million dollars from his father's estate? You know, what was going on there? It, It seems from what we understand of this case that he desperately needed money. Yes. And he could not support himself. And Anna was working and she was down in D.C. How much money was she actually making? And someone was searching, like I said, someone was searching Internet, running an Internet search after Anna disappeared about inheritances, about earning an inheritance. How, how long would he have to wait uh, when someone is missing before they could collect an inheritance, collect on an estate? That's very damning. It showed that money, it, show, it goes, I think, to motive. He was working, right, prior to the federal indictment. He was involved in finance or, I mean, it looks like he was involved in a few different companies, but that's murky, isn't it? Yeah, it it is murky. You know, I just talked to someone this last week who knew Brian Walsh, and she told me that she knew him before he met Anna. 
and described him and said she went to dinner with him about 10 times and said that he knew all the restaurateurs in Boston yeah. and would spend like $10,000 on a meal, have people have these lavish dinners and just live this high lifestyle. It was really fascinating. It was somebody I was working with on another story. And I just happened to mention some of the things I'd been working on brought up Brian Walsh. And she just started telling me this. It was like a five minute conversation. And she just said that he was just came across as this, you know, really well to do wealthy person, just throwing money around, you know, presenting, you know, and that's what con men do, right? They present themselves as something as they're not. Live above, and, yeah, yeah. Living above his, I mean, I right. work in the luxury market and yeah, you that's unsustainable unless you have an enormous net worth. So. Right. Which would explain and, why he allegedly went through all of his father's money and why his right. father wrote him off, right? You know, disinherited him from the estate. So, so when you say he can't afford the lifestyle that he had become accustomed to, I think, you know, you had brought up something interesting, Bob, I want to ask you about that you believe there was some sort of, you speculate maybe that there was some kind of domestic abuse mm -hmm. going on with, with, you know, with Anna. Can you sort of speak to that or tell sure. us a little bit about that? Sure. I first suspected it just going through her, um, her photos and her social media. And there is a photo of her from 2018. She has a selfie picture of herself where she has a bruise right underneath her, her, um, her eyebrow. Pretty substantial bruise. And she captions it about talking about um, she's got the bruise. She says a bruised hip and a couple other minor injuries. And she says, hashtag vulnerability. And it's a very odd thing for her to write about because when you look at the rest of her social media, she's not projecting any kind of poor me image at all. She's no. always talking. She's always portraying herself as living this great life, almost a Kardashian lifestyle, beautiful pictures. Everything's going great. Nothing like that. Now, I don't see one other instance where she's feeling sad, lonely, any of that stuff. It's so it stands out. And then somebody asked her, so what happened? And she said something about lost traction on some marble floors at work. Well, at the time she was working at the Newberry, which was the Ritz Carlton on uh, in Boston, opposite the public garden. I called over there to ask them more about this and they wouldn't take my call. I never heard back from them. So that's the time frame. So I wanted to do a story just about that. And my station said no, because there's no um, other, you know, that's purely speculative. And sometimes you just you can just take something at face value, but it bothered me. So I started digging around and started working my sources, started asking, started trying to find out if the police were ever called, if there were ever any complaints, never found anything like that. However, what I did find was in 2014, when she was not even engaged to Brian Walsh, she was still using the previous married name. Uh, was it uh, Kniep, I think it was? Or Nip. She, Is Nip, it Kniep? Yeah. She complained. She called police in Washington, D.C. Mm -hmm. and said that Brian Walsh threatened to kill her and her friend. And she never followed through on it. So he was never arrested. There was never an investigation. But she was fearful enough to call the police and a single line report was filed. So that report was filed and it was kind of lost to time, but it was still on file on an old computer system. So that was found. It took me three days to find that. You broke that story, Bob. I broke that, that story. That was right. one of the stories that you broke. Wow, that's a big that's, right. that's a big story to break. <laughs> yeah. And so that shows in 2014, 
Anna Walsh was fearful for her life because Brian Walsh threatened her somehow, threatened to kill her. That's in 2014. Did it, and, and did she, she gets engaged to this guy. And six mm-hmm. months later, she gets married. Right. Four years later, we have that bruised picture. And then in 2022 to 2023, she's gone. And the police are now saying that she was murdered and she's dismembered. And to me, when you string all that together, that shows a classic escalation of domestic violence. And that's not just me speculating about it. I've talked to investigators working the case, and they have come to believe that this, at its very heart, is a case of domestic violence. So I don't know if there's something more that they've come across, if they've talked to her friends and they've developed more evidence along those lines, but that's something that they have also concluded or something that they are pursuing. Does she name Brian Walsh in that two, uh, 2014 report? She does, but the report does not. So the report just ha- has code of like, um, you know, CW and SW and that sort of thing. But I have to be very careful here. I was a source, not with, not in Massachusetts, told me that the person she's referring to is Brian Walsh. Let's put it this way. When I made my request of the of police in Washington. I didn't know what I was looking for, but my request was made under the name Brian Walsh with his date of birth, with the year of the offense that I was looking for. And that's how that's how the, the report was found. And that's how it was filed. Gotcha. Interesting. I was just going to ask when you think we're going to see some more activity in this case, maybe see some financials, like when is our, I mean, I know it's speculative, but Mm -hmm. when do you think more information will start to come out? I think the next major event is going to be when he's indicted and he's brought into superior court. So the empowerment of the case is good until mid-March. I want to say March 16th. I could be off by a day on that, but it's it's mid-March that that the impound notice is in effect until so I'm I'm guessing that by that day, he will be indicted and um, he'll be in superior court. And once that happens, we're going to find out a lot more. But I got to be honest with you. I didn't expect all that information to come out at the district court arraignment. I thought we would get something, something that would indicate why state police think that she's no longer with us and why he needs to be held. But I just did not expect to get that all that. Uh, what we did get, which was all those internet searches and that degree of um, detail that we did get, which is just astounding. Absolutely. Absolutely. Do you think the defense has a prayer in this case? There's always a prayer. You know, you just don't know. I mean, some, you know, they didn't say as you go through it, they just said there are internet searches on the child's iPad. You know, they didn't say Brian Walsh wrote those internet searches. And they didn't say the uh, December 27th internet search, which was what's the best date for a man to get a divorce. They didn't say what device that was found on. That could be on a computer. That could be on a phone. They didn't say they didn't disclose where that was. What if some of those internet searches get thrown out? You know, then what do you have? I don't know. I mean, there's, you know, Tracy Miner is a good attorney and we just don't know you just don't know. You just don't know where it's going to go and, and how they might be able to argue this. Yeah, um, and get a lesser degree of, of, yeah. And then there's this whole issue of how premeditated was this. So, you know, I'm, if, if he did do the internet searches, well, it, it says that, and, and if he did murder her, 
the disposal of her body was not premeditated because she's dead and he's trying within hours he's trying to figure out you know what to do with her so right. it wasn't a completely thought out plan however a couple of days before he's thinking about divorce and one of the theories here is that she was going to move on without him right and he and you know one of the theories that people have said is that she said on new year's early on new year's we're done i'm leaving i'm taking the kids i'm moving to dc you're a loser you know you're going to prison adios have a nice life and he said oh yeah well goodbye and that this is what happened but you have that the writing on the side of the champagne box in the house that you know the new york post uh, was able to take a picture of and that those are her last words and what she wrote from new year's eve was Brian, we made it through 2022 on to great things in 2023. I love you, Anna. Doesn't sound like someone is about to divorce her husband. So <laughs> what happened? You know, and it's going to be very important to hear that detail. You know, I, I, the one seeding? I, 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 I wonder, though, if, you know, I think he's conniving enough to write that, to write it as, uh, you know, who who knows Maybe. if that's actually her her writing. I'm, yeah, I'm thinking, it looks like, you know. I, I, you know, I hate to generalize, but the writing looks like a woman's handwriting. Yeah. You know, I don't know. You're right. You're absolutely right. It could be it could be forged. It could be. But man, if that's if if he if he had the time and the you know the foresight to do something like that, that's pretty amazing. So his guest that the, the guest in the house that night, uh, you know, is such an important witness, you know, and you'd like to hear a lot more from that person. Jem, Jem, Jem Mutlu, right? But he, mm -hmm. but he just says it was a perfectly normal kind of yeah. joyous New Year's Eve celebration. It wasn't, right. you know. So with um, something in the house, and then we're getting a total speculation. So something was stewing, you know, and again, it goes back to the domestic violence thing. Something was building, 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 and then bang, it just, and, and it escalates. That's what we know about abusive people. And yes. It starts here, and over time, it just explodes. Right, and, and it doesn't always take much. It doesn't take much. You know, yeah. it could have just been a flip thing that she said. We knew she was going to leave on Wednesday, and she was going to fly down to D.C. And maybe some argument about that. Who knows? Can um, I ask you um, one more thing? Just um, Sure. So he was, when was he going to be sentenced? And when was he going to be sentenced for the federal crime if this I don't had think not happened? I don't think there was a date set up for it yet. But I he was, was faced... still up in the air. He was and looking he... at the uh, the U.S. Attorney's Office was looking at a thirty month sentence, and Rachel Rollins, uh, the office, the U.S. Attorney's Office was looking at a substantial sentence, thirty months, almost three years, because of the issues surrounding um, the fraud with the father's estate. It's interesting to read that document because they say that. Ordinarily, in a case like that, a first offense, they wouldn't be looking for something as severe jail time as almost three years um, on the high end of, in a first offense. But because of all these other issues involving what happened with the, the father's estate, you know, basically ripping up his father's will and trying to liquidate the estate against what his father wanted, it bothered the federal prosecutors enough where they thought the judge should know this and should, should do something about it. Oh, interesting. Um, I had thought I thought he had kind of gotten away with the fraud with his father, but funny, well, he I, did. I didn't realize that it got kind of rolled into it, the It kind of uh, did without getting rolled into it. It's sort of like, you know, just take this into account. This is the type of person you're dealing with. That was the kind of tone of what that document It kind of colored their decision. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Whether or not the judge would have gone along with that is another is something else, but that's where their heads were were at at the time. 
Yeah. So, but it's not like he was looking at 20 years. I mean, no, he wasn't looking at 20 years. But, you know, yeah. for a guy like Brian Walsh, who's used to drop in 10 grand on it right, right. At, uh, in Boston, three years is a long time. I don't care how easy the time might have been wherever they sent him. Right. You know, that's not easy to do, especially when you got a wife with three little kids and you're not really supporting yourself. And that's uh, why, you know, at the outset, this is what the state police knew. And that's why they thought Anna may have taken her own life because she was in for a world of hurt. What was ever going to happen if she were alive? Her husband was going away. She was going to be a single mom. That they that house in Cohasset, I think, was it four or $5,000 a month? That was, a, here's, a, here's another little interesting tidbit. The landlord had um, rented that house out to them for six, it was a six month lease that they took over last March. The six months wrapped up and they wanted to, uh, he asked them, they said, you know, do you want to do another six? Brian asked, well, can we do three months and not six? And it went back to, well, no, I do six months, not three months. So they agreed to the six. Well, she disappears on the three months, oh, <laughs> which is what he was looking for initially. Isn't that strange? I don't know that if that means anything, but he was looking he was looking for a three month lease and she disappears on the first. Why were they renting? I think that when you start to look at their finances, it's going to be a house of cards. Yeah, exactly. Because it's like, why were they renting? And that that had to be expensive. Like, six, yeah, it had to be on the six grand. That's a beautiful area. But yeah, yeah. Why and, are they renting? It just seems odd to me that. And they were also they would... liquidating that apartment. Was it in Revere? That other, remember that whole thing too? Oh, in Lynn or something? Yeah. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. um, another one of our reporters did that story. I didn't cover that, but they had that apartment. They had those tenants living there that were, uh, had a cut rent because they had a reduced rent because they were doing work for them. And then they just sold it out from under them. And that created a lot of hard feelings. That was what, in December, just before Christmas time. And uh, they needed the money. They, you know, she needed the money. You know, maybe, I don't know, for expenses or to satisfy whatever the federal government was looking for in his case, but they needed money. So they were, maybe they sold Jerusalem Road to get some money out of it. Hmm. It just tells you that they were, you know, there was a lot going on. Again, that's why, you know, the, the, the state police were thinking that, yeah, she's probably in the woods. And that's also, we also find out that that's where her phone was, was uh, pinging for a couple of days. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't know that. You know, when Chief Quigley gave his initial press conference, he said the phone went dark, I think on New Year's, but it didn't. It went dark on the 2nd. So that phone that's was right. pinging in the woods for a couple of days. My, my yeah. heart breaks for the kids. I mean, yeah. do we know sort of who, is there somebody, are they in good care? Or are they? We don't know. You know we don't, we know. don't know. We hear things, but I, I, you know, we, I don't know anything I can report on. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully they're all three, all three of them are still together. And I think that's what they try to do to keep them together for all all the things they've been through. But yeah, I mean, they've got family, but where are they? You know, there's Brian's mother and she's local and, you know, her mother is in Serbia and I think she's got a sister around, but you know, where are they? And so where are those children? It really is a tragedy all around. Well, Bob, uh, thank you so much. Yeah, I, I'm, that was so, that was so helpful, Bob. Thank you. I hope you don't mind if we check in with you um, going going forward. I think we're going to be in for a while, the long haul in this case. Yeah. And who knows what's going to come up. I know. I know. I know. So it's good. It's good. I think the interest in this is just going to grow. I absolutely agree. Well, thanks again, Bob. Thank you. You got it, guys. Okay. 
Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Murder. Murder.